But let's start with a quote um, that I gave you. That quote comes from John Piper in a little book, this book, called Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. If you do not have this book, you must have this book. Because this is so much, this could like in a sense be our textbook for Bill in regards to really getting at the heart of the first discipline of not just seeing Christ in Scripture, but savoring Him. And that's what this quote is kind of about. Let me read it with you as you uh, take a look at it. Seeing and savoring Jesus Christ is the most important seeing and savoring you will ever do. And that's because eternity hangs on it. One kind of seeing is with physical eyes, and the other is with spiritual eyes. When we see with our spiritual eyes, we see the truth and the beauty and the value of Jesus Christ for what they really are. Thus, a blind person today may see Christ more clearly than many who have eyes. Seeing Jesus Christ is the response to this kind of seeing, or savoring Jesus Christ is the response to this kind of seeing. When you see something as true and beautiful and valuable, you savor it. That is, you treasure it. You cherish and admire and prize it. Spiritual seeing and spiritual savoring are so closely connected that it would be fair to say if you don't savor Christ, you haven't seen Christ for who he is. If you don't prize him above all things, you haven't apprehended his true worth. May God give you eyes to see and hearts to savor. There's only one place to go to look for Christ, and that's his word. And so you must open your Bible as a man of God every day with the intent of doing far more than just seeing Jesus Christ there, but to spiritually see him in a way that means that you will spiritually savor him. You will treasure him. For a, for a man to come to the word of God, to spend time there and walk away and not enjoy Christ more, not treasure him for who he is, that's a, that's a moment of failure. And we all know what that's like because we all do that. I do that. Um, but you don't even have a chance to do it if you don't open your Bible. So you've got to get in the Bible. You have to be in the Bible. You have to be doing everything that you've got to do to be there. All right? And keeping the Word in front of you. Jerry, good to have you here. Come on in. Grab one of those forms there. And if you want, just pick any spot at the table. All right? Now, as we move on, open your Bible to Philippians 3. And we are going to use some words there from Paul in line with seeing Christ and savoring him. And um, we're going to pray. Philippians 3. You know, in the first six verses, in the first six verses, Paul is um, addressing or detailing his great accomplishments in the flesh. And um, he's, he's, uh, he's got quite an accomplished list there. He, can, he's, he is somebody pretty unique because he was above all who were trying to put confidence in the flesh. He was able to do it more so. Verse 3, he put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, he, put, um, he had reason for confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, he has reason for confidence in the flesh uh, if God was measuring by the flesh. But he says in verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Now listen to his words and tell me if it sounds like he understands what it means to see and say to Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's savoring Christ. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Sounds like that treasure in the field that the man came upon, and he sold everything in order to get it. And he wants to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law, from living under a law principle, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, so that I may know him, and I know about him, not be able to defend against error only, but to know him, the power of his resurrection and that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. With that in mind, let's pray. Let's pray that God would make us into men who would see Christ and savor him. Okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I do pray for us this morning. I pray for my own heart and my own practice with your word and our practice as men with your word that we would... Remind ourselves that as we open your word, we must see Christ. But we must do more than see Christ. We must savor your son, Jesus. We must treasure him. And um, Father, uh, the the prospects, um, the potential of what this church, um, how it would be used by you in the world, in this community, if it had 40 men who did this on a daily basis, that this was their driving conviction. The conviction of Paul in Philippians 3. God, what might you do in these men and through these men in a small little church in Tempe? Lord, this is what we want to set up in front of us, and this is what we want to humble ourselves under you for and beg of you to work um, this way in our hearts. So please, make us into men who first truly have the treasure, Jesus Christ, and then increase our appetite for Him and our desire for Him, our affections for Him. Father, if we have drifted and wandered by our own foolishness, and we may at times, and all of us will feel this way from time to time, that we are distant from Him and maybe even numbed to him, Lord, would you please be merciful and revive these cold hearts. Warm them again to Christ in your word so that we might be faithful to him, so that we might know him and see his true worth, treasure him. That's what this world needs to see, is not men who are smart and have answers to difficult, ultimate questions, but men who love Jesus Christ, men who treasure him enough to lose everything, So God, we pray that you would meet with us this morning, that you would use this meeting to that end, that it would be a life-changing moment for us as we gather together and for our church. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. I want to remind you that you have in build, there's primarily one assignment, and that is that you read through the Bible in a year, and in your notebooks there's a couple of different plans that you can go by.
and um, just want to encourage you that you need to be on that track, moving the best that you can through it. And um, just want to encourage you: what if, what if you get behind? No, not what if. When you get behind, what should you do? Because I mean, if you're reading through the Bible in a year, you're reading about what three, four chapters a day, and all it takes is missing two days, and you've got six to nine. 10, 12 chapters to read and you'll be sitting there looking at your watch going so what do you do? What do, what do some of you do when you get behind in, in your room? Jeff, what do you do? Well, I, I had a meeting with Bob yeah. and we talked about that probably together we're older than any other two guys in here so I don't know what that counts for so everybody Sorry, listen Bob. <laughs> Bob suggested uh-huh. and I agreed that if you get behind you just start where you are, and you don't worry about it, and try not to do it again. But if you do, don't worry about it. That's that's exactly my encouragement. And also that you get with somebody that you could be somewhat accountable yeah. for. I'll tell you, for me, what's helpful is, um, and we didn't even do this formally, but I know Smed and I are reading the same thing. We're, we use McShane's. And one of the first things that happens as I read through Ezekiel, or as we're in Daniel now, um, and I read something, the first thing that comes to my mind is, oh, I, I want to ask Smed about that. And, and it just kind of happens because we see each other every day. And, and you know, so that, you I had have that, that idea or thought yesterday because we're doing McShane also. Oh, yeah. and, and thought, well, you don't have to do McShane, but it'd be kind of cool if we all were because then you'd go, wow, you're David, right? And David's reading the same thing as I am where you could go. Yeah. Wow, did you, you remember that? Then it would promote yeah. How many of you guys were reading McShane's plan? Put your hands up so I can see. Okay, that's that's what you want to do. Is you kind of want to know who's doing what, who's doing chronological. God be merciful to you. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But that's good. You need to know who's kind of doing what, you know, and and uh, go for it. Did anybody try that um, that other one that has the on Mondays you read? The Pentateuch. Who's really? I'm going to do that one next year, and I'd love to know from you guys how that goes. Yeah. Okay. So make sure that you're just staying in the Bible. Don't get up. You know, if you if you're going to miss a day, you're going to miss sometimes a couple of days. Um, you know, but just don't get discouraged. Look at what the plan says for that day and start there again. Will you be missing something? Absolutely. But what are your what are your options beyond that? Um, you don't want to. You don't want to lock yourself into one. Well, I don't. This isn't worth it to keep going on this plan because I can't keep up with it. Uh, that's that's not a, a good choice. The right choice is I'm going to just pick right back up today and I'm going to get after it again. I'm going to go as long and as hard as I can by the grace of God. So just keep doing that, okay? And the point <clears throat> we talked about this. If you look under discipline one, you don't have to do it now. But I have in there that very first sheet that talks about the occurrences of the word heart in Scripture. And you'll see that, you know, in obscure books, obscure books to us, not obscure to God, in the Old Testament, the word heart is found, the heart is addressed over and over and over. And if we're not reading through the whole Bible, we're impoverishing ourselves because, because God wants to address your heart through His Word. And so, come on in, have a seat. Pick a spot, and you're good. Um... God wants to address your heart and, and, and open that up to you let, to let you see your heart, okay? So, 
Um, if you have any questions on that or want to talk more about your Bible reading, that's great, okay? Um, let's turn your notebook, if you got them. Just turn them over to the back side. I want to review through your disciplines. Again, why we're, we're doing all of this. We have six key um, leadership disciplines from the Word of God that we want to um, address and keep before us all the time, right? And those disciplines are, number one, um, the heart. You want to be a man who is shepherding your heart to the Word of God, the Bible, over and over and over for the main purpose of what we just talked about, that you might know the God of Scripture, that you might know Jesus Christ, okay? Um, Second discipline that flows from that, as you become that kind of man and are that kind of man, there needs to be a a sphere, uh, an arena that is impacted by you and your heart for God first, and that is your household, the home. If you're married, if you have kids, that's obvious. It is your wife, it is your children, and if you are not married and do not have children yet, it is your roommates. Wherever you are, get in the habit now of making a spiritual impact on the people that you live around. Because it is too easy for men to play leapfrog over that and just jump right into the church and jump right into ministry and jump right into caring for people and jump right into responsibilities and there's a wreckage that's left behind in their home because they didn't pay attention to their the people there. And if you're not going to do that with just simple knuckle-headed roommates with you, what makes you think that when God gives you that ultimate roommate, you're going to do it then? Get in the practice now of leaving a spiritual aroma in your house, in your household, in your dorm room. It doesn't matter where you are. Make that impact. And then as you're doing that, discipline three, you're ready to step into the lives of people around you. And again, these are not in one sense sequential that you do all of discipline one and you graduate from the heart and then you move to the home and then you do that and then you graduate from that never to return and go back and then to the ministry of of ministering to people. But there is a sense in which there's priority, right? And so when you step into the lives of people, you're stepping into the lives of people in the church primarily with the gospel. When you step into the lives of people in your home, you're stepping into their lives primarily with the gospel. From that then comes discipline four, in which is uh, we focus on the qualifications for ministry in the two offices that are given in the church. And that is the office of elder and the office of deacon. And we want to set up those two lists of qualifications before you as um, an encouragement to you to strive to possess those qualities. Um, and if you look at those lists of qualities, you will find that they primarily fall into one of the first three disciplines. What kind of a man of God is he with his own heart in the Word of God? Is he a godly man? Number two, what's it, is he managing his household well? <clears throat> so you can't play leapfrog over it. But Paul, through the Spirit, as he writes in Titus uh, chapter 1 and in 1 Timothy 3, knows that the man who's going to lead in the church, whether it's in a servant leadership role as a deacon or as a shepherding role as an elder, he knows that that man cannot play leapfrog over his family. Is he a husband of one wife? Is he a one-woman man? Um, you'll find all of those, just all those qualifications falling into one of the first three disciplines. So we want to set those up for you to aim for. We'll talk about those later in the year as we go through build. Discipline five is what we call the biblical theological practical, and that just means that we, we allow for ourselves at any time we want to address any biblical issue we want, any theological issue we want, any practical ministry issue we want. And we just want to 
have that in front of us. And I would actually say that what H3 is, is addresses the theological, um, you know, solidly, consistently, mostly. Um, so that you'll see that after, after you're in build, Lord willing. And then discipline six, we just want to keep our vision as a church in front of us and our purpose. That we want to be about the glory of God and the cross of Jesus Christ as he transforms lives through the gospel of the cross. And then that leads us to draw in, to build up, and to send out for the sake of the gospel. Okay? That's what build wants to do. We want to unite all of the men in the church around these disciplines. And um, primarily, we're going to really put the heavy emphasis on discipline one, two, and three. Okay? And four a little bit. If we can get men united around that, that's an exciting energy and synergy that's taking place uh, by God's grace, we hope. All right? As you interact with one another, and as you're um, fellowshipping together, disciplines one, two, and three should be things that you're talking about with each other, asking one another. Here's how you can care. You want to know how to care for the men in this church? Do you want to be cared for by an older man? Ask him. Will you ask me questions on a regular basis about my heart, about what I'm doing in my household I live in, and how, I'm, how it's going ministering to people? Will you please ask me about that? If you're an older man and you want to be uh, imparting and, and, and sharing your life with a younger man, you tell him, this is what the three things I'm going to be asking you about. I want to know how you're doing with your heart and the Word of God. How's it going in your household? And what's it like when you're with people? What are you talking about when you're with people? What's your emphasis? That's what this church needs, desperately. Men personally committed to that. Um, that's what we're trying to unite the leadership around. Okay? Any thoughts, questions, um, clarification on that? Anything from the other two elders? Nope. Okay. All right, let me tell you what our plan is today. Our plan is to try to make sense of the crazy schedule that we have so far in build. Um, <clears throat> if you'll take a look, just open up your first page, and you'll see in that uh, protected sheet, there's a, there's a calendar. We met way back on, what was it, September... 13th, that was our first meeting. And then the, just the way that it worked, we, um, we, we, the next two Saturdays that we would have been together were the Ligonier Conference up in Scottsdale, um, which is you know, a, a ministry extension of R.C. Sproul. And, and then the next weekend that we would have been together would have been the men's retreat. Now, let me see. If you went to either of those two or both, raise your hand. I just want to say, I'm trying to think of how many guys were... Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's great. And I'm guessing, was most of that the men's retreat? Because we had four, almost about 40 guys. Warren, Nate, come on in. Um, <clears throat> good. Well, what I want to do this morning is I want to spend the first part of our time together kind of going through uh, the Ligonier Conference. Um, John MacArthur spoke, R.C. Sproul spoke, and Ligon Duncan. And it was, the theme of it was tough questions Christians face. So what I've provided for you uh, in your, if you're taking your paper clip, that first page is a title of each of the sessions and including the, the two question and answer sessions. And <clears throat> what I want to do is, is hopefully just rely on those of you who are there. Is it the second to the last page? Oh, I'm sorry. It's not the first one. It should say D5, tough questions Christians face. <coughs> Do you see it in your little packet of stuff? Do you need one? Yeah. Go get it. Hold on that table there. Sorry. 
the snag jump over here. Um, D5. Now, if you want, if you want, the, um, I gave a, a, a link there. Now, you won't be able to click on that link on the paper. I don't know if you know that. I just want to make sure. Um, but if you will um, type that long link in, you'll find that there was a guy who was at the conference who live blogged it. So he sat there and took lots of notes or recorded or whatever and then gave a condensed um, you know, version of it. And he, I saw it there yesterday and you can, or, or two days ago or whatever, and you can check that out. If you weren't there, you would, it would, I would strongly encourage you to do that because you will not... Hey, Dave, make sure you grab one of the papers off the table there. Um, I strongly encourage you to do that because um, there was some real valuable stuff going on there. So let's just... Take a few minutes here. Those of you who went, if you need to open up your notes from it, if you brought it, that's great. Um, anything from any of the sessions or the question and answer that really jumped out to you that you enjoyed the most, that really impacted you from that conference? I think um, <coughs> something that stood out to me was when John MacArthur spoke on uh, session two, why does that allow someone suffering to do and how um, he touched on how God is completely sovereign over evil and how he allows it and it all culminates in his glory for him to be glorified in that and um, I think he hit on how many different people actually see God as being detached from evil you know or like he, he doesn't have control over that you know um, he's not as if, as if he's not intricately involved you know um, I guess it just it brought to my attention the need to Guard your doctrine in that area, I guess, mm -hmm. um, because there's a lot floating out there in regards to mm -hmm. how God relates to the world and sin. So, I thought one of the things that was probably the most helpful in that was when He, <clears throat> at the end, tied it into the cross, mm -hmm. and 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 never if the more cross-centered you become, okay, the more gospel-centered you become, you will find over and over that that will save you in these ultimate difficult questions. Because the problem of evil, God's not, if you're talking to somebody and, and they want to distance God from evil, man alive, you just talk about the cross and you just say, well, then what happened at the cross? Who was responsible for that? And they will say, well, you know, sinners were responsible. And then you can take them to Acts and talk about how it was God's predetermined plan that his son. So here's God intimately acquainted in a sense, with evil and yet not morally responsible, culpable, guilty of it. And so he meets evil head on, sovereignly at the cross of his son. And what he has done to overcome evil at the cross of his son is beautiful. And it glorifies him. There's no more glorious place on earth than the cross. And that is fascinating that God would do it that way. And so the cross is... Always run, the, if you get a tough question, run to the cross first in your mind, catalog through, okay, what happened there? And you'll probably find your answer there uh, to the ultimate question. What else from that conference that you saw? Her, anybody? Well, since no one's saying anything, I sure. wasn't at it, but I have something. Just yeah. By staying focused on the cross and God's sovereignty, um, my wife and I were talking to Lori's parents last night, and uh, 
we had had a situation come up not too long ago, and one of my wife's friends who, I'll just say, they're mystical. And she said, I can get a medium who can look into this and they'll figure out what's going on. And Lori was just shocked and she said, no, we have God's spirit and we know God is sovereign in all things, so we're just going to focus on God. Mm. I mean, she was so, so shocked, but that's where she was looking, where we were looking, and that was the answer she gave. And even after praying about it and thinking about that particular situation, there was no better answer she could have given that person. Yeah, that's really good. Praise God. Praise God. Well, let me just, I'll run through the, each of the titles in, in, of the sessions, and I really encourage you. The audio is not available yet through Ligonier, um, but I know that when, as I was sitting there at the conference, I thought, I want a copy of every single one of those sessions, because they were so, <coughs> ultimate questions Christians, difficult questions Christians face. I mean, I'm telling you guys, how science disproved the existence of God. Um, Ligon Duncan did a great job on talking about how evolution and you know the, the godless attempt to explain origins just fails miserably when it comes to ultimate questions like that. Where did everything come from? And you would be greatly equipped if you listened to that message. <coughs> Session two, why, we already talked about a little bit why does God allow so much evil and suffering in the world? Uh, and uh, that would be very encouraging to you and help you understand better the role of God in um, the whole issue and subject of evil. Um, the Q&A's, I, I guess Friday night's Q&A was just incredible. It was great, and I, I wasn't there for that. Um, session three, if God is sovereign, how can man be free? Do you ever struggle with that in your own mind? You know, I have to have really true autonomy, free will. Man must have that in order for God to really be God somehow, or, or no. Is God sovereign and man's freedom is under his sovereignty, and yet his choices are real, according to Scripture. You need to understand that whole subject. Session four is Jesus the only way. Um, and I, I, I walked away with this. What, what MacArthur said there was that if you're going to go with any other way, prop up any other way than Jesus Christ, the first thing you're doing is you are belittling and thinking less of God's righteousness, and you are thinking much of your own. And that somehow you can bring God down to a place where he would be impressed with your own righteousness. And he would be satisfied and accept yours. And that is why there is no other way, because God is not that way at all. He has his standard, and there is nothing you can do. And that is why his son came, so that he might die in our place. And uh, give us his own righteousness. Um, session five, should the church embrace postmodernism? If you w have really no idea what postmodernism is or have tried, it's been difficult to get your hands around what that is, you'll find very good summary given by Ligon Duncan on that that will help you understand kind of the, the backbone of it. Um, and then the last session, what is the gospel? I, oh, and by the way, session three, the, the, the worth of that audio is made up um, in the first probably 30 minutes where he just told the story of Joseph. Spoon never used notes. And he just talked the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. I'm telling you, that is worth his weight in gold, the whole thing. It, you know, that was amazing to listen. 
um, to that. <clears throat> Session six, what is the gospel? A great place to go to to have a better grasp of just what you hear that a lot. We want to preach the gospel to ourselves, but what is the gospel? Um, you'll be encouraged by that time um, that you'll get there, okay? Anything else you want to finish up there, guys, before we move on? Yes, sir. Yeah, I have a question for you. Um, I have a friend who's a celebrity. She's very famous. And I was wondering um, about the whole gay, uh, being gay thing, uh, gay marriage, or how that works out. Like, if that, is that like a, is that a, is it a, was that a sin from Adam and Eve, like from eating from the fruit, or is that? That's a great question. Let's, let's address that just a little bit from, um, from what God says in, in Romans chapter 1. Um, yeah, it's, it's exactly the case. Adam and Eve, when they fell, by taking the, the fruit that God said not to go to, that opened the floodgates of man to wander far from God in every arena of life. And so what happened is, um, you know, the way that um, a, a husband relates to a wife is perverted, uh, twisted, uh, marred, the way that a child relates to his parents is marred, the way that brothers relate to brothers. Every relationship by sin um, is marred and, and begins to go down a path that is um, godless. Now, some people and, and sin doesn't always manifest itself in a twisted nature as far as it can in every single person, but some people take it as far as they possibly can. Um, in chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness <coughs> suppress the truth. They know what is true by God because what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, they have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So what God is establishing here is that as fallen people, we, he has left enough in the world of a revelation of himself, apart from even this book, that we can see and know that there is a God, and we know that's true, and we suppress it. And so we bring that into every arena of life and every sphere of relationship. And even though we may know what is true about how God wants to, us to conduct our lives in a, in a, a relationship, we suppress that and we do what we want to do instead. Um, verse uh, going on verse 22 claiming to be wise they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things and God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity and dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged uh, natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And so that's what God is saying is that it just unravels everything. And, and God gave them up to that. said, you deny me, you're going that way. 
I will leave you to yourself, and this is where man goes. Now, not every single man goes that direction sexually. Not every single woman goes that way directly, uh, personally. But that is where humankind has taken um, sexual relationships. And yes, it is a sin. The beauty of it all is that God sent his son to die and to take on himself the sin of every single one who believes in him at the cross, including homosexuality. It's, it's a stunning thought that the sinless Savior bearing in himself the sin of adultery, um, fornication, homosexuality. And by the way, Christians have um, get real uptight about homosexuality. And, and look, it's, it's sin. Do not want to bring the sin of homosexuality down like it's not that big a deal. But you know what we need to do? If we're going to have that kind of standard, we need to make sure that we bring fornication up, guys. If you are going to be impure with a woman and you're not married, you need to bring that up and see that that, that is as grotesque in the eyes of God as homosexuality. So do not drop down what homosexuality is, but lift up what fornication is. And Jesus Christ, in his body, on the cross, is bearing away that sin. God empties his wrath out on his son the sinless one who became sin. If you sin, you must die. But he died not because he had sinned, but because he took on sin. He was the sin bearer. And he had to die under the wrath of God. And so he did. And he bore that away perfectly. What I think is really sad is that like, my friend, um, she is, uh, I guess uh, you would call a lesbian uh-huh. or not. And um, she's like totally against religion now. And since she's become like a, a lesbian, it's just it's just really sad that she's like pushed this out of her life. And I've tried to like, talk to her about it and stuff like this. And it just just it does, it's not it's not gonna happen. I don't know. I just she just thinks because it's it's wrong, you know. Well, we think it's wrong. But she said she was born. She was born she was born gay and she's she's just gay. She's like, you know, I've always you know and Yeah, those are hard hard um, questions. And the best thing you know that we can do when we're in situations like that is do everything you can to um, try to maintain some type of Platform in your relationship in which you can continue to speak truth to her from the Word of God and show out. And um, yeah, no, that's what you're Yeah, it's hard. Scott, yeah. Just like you said, I, I have a, a relative who's uh, um, homosexual. And, uh, and I was trying to bring up that, that same, what you said about fornication. And it's like, you know. I may not be homosexual, but as a man, but I could easily be. I mean, God created me as the way He did, and you know, I could easily be a fornicator, and I could justify it the same way you're justifying homosexuality. So, yeah, we want to. But a sin is a sin. That's right. right. A sin is a sin um, in His eyes, and um, one sin being washed away, cleansed. Um, atoned for doesn't require any more blood from Christ than any other sin. 
um, it is all equally offensive in God's eyes because it is rebellion against Him that He sinned. So, yeah. Let's um, let's move on to the men's retreat. Um, you have, you'll see. I tried to condense to one page every message that we did at the men's retreat. And by the way, I just I got to tell you guys this because uh, it was so encouraging to me. Your in fact, I was even on the phone with um, uh, Bill Pinalto at Camelback earlier this week. And he said it again to me. I think the greater testimony that was made and um, you know, the greater testimony that was made at that retreat was, was not anything that I said, but it was you guys. The way that you interacted with all the other people, the way that you um, just reflexively talked about the gospel yourself for you personally that you want to keep the, the cross of Jesus Christ before your heart and your mind over and over and over repeatedly um, that made an impact um, in, in a big way a way that you, you, don't, that you I'm sure you don't know and couldn't see but um, I, I remember leaving uh, we, we drove back quickly so that I could meet my family and get on a airplane and, and go away and I couldn't wait to see my wife because the, the first thing on my mind that I want to tell her is you would not believe what I got to see in our men and it was just so encouraging because when you're so close to it here you can you, you know it doesn't you don't see it like it is but being in that setting amplified and put the accent on what the fruit of God's word is doing in your life and it was so encouraging to see that and I praise God for his work in your life guys that um, you are men who want the gospel near to your heart. And um, that just was a, a major encouragement to me. So thanks for, and praise God, give thanks to him that he is doing that work in your life. What I'd like to do, um, the first two messages got recorded there, and I'm going to try to get those audio, and I'll try to put them up on our website. The last two didn't. Um, and we're going to basically, uh, what I want to do this morning is kind of do the last one this morning with you, a, a summary view of the last message, and then we're going to do the third one on the ministry um, at our first ministry discipline, I think it's in, I forget, later in November. So, um, but I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the heart one, because our first session in September, we did the heart, um, and the one that I did at the men's retreat was, was similar, and so if you have anything you want to share from there, guys, that's great. Do that. But I'm going to limit the time on Discipline 1 there on the heart so that we can spend more time on the home and the ministry because that's not something yet that we've talked about here on a Saturday. So what, anything from any of those four sessions, you should have um, any of those, those four. You can see the, the handouts there. Anything that jumped out to you from the time there um, at the retreat? Anything? Small group time, just personal conversations, sessions. Josh. I think the thing that stuck out to me was, um, I don't know, seeing the order and how you say take you said take care of your heart first, then your home is a priority, then your ministry, and how I guess uh, for so long I've viewed um, taking the scriptures so that you can teach somebody something or whatever, you know, and not seeing myself as the priority. Um, take care of my heart first because my heart is deceitful, <laughs> my heart is wicked. Uh, and seeing, you know, just under, I don't know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, dang, this is how it's supposed to look, you know? So, uh, 
I know it was good. It was new. I get fairly new, you know. Um, since I've been out here, just to man see that I have to take God's version of flight to myself before I say, "Oh man, let me go teach somebody." This, this is great, you know, theologically. Um, so that was good stuff. Leapfrog is is the keyword because it is the favorite game of the flesh to play leapfrog over your own heart and to play leapfrog over your family or your household wherever you live, and it's just. You can look at the Word of God, and, and one of the first things that will come to your mind is, oh, I'd love to talk. I'd love to, to impart that to, you know, all oh, small group. Um, it, it's one of the first things you think of. And you shouldn't feel guilty for that unless that's all you're thinking of. Because I'm sure others need to hear that. But they need to hear it only as it has gone through first your own heart and as it's impacting the people that you live with most. And then as, it's, as you spend time with others, so you want to yeah, work on, on those priorities. Thanks, Josh. That's encouraging. Yeah. I just want to question with regards to that because, you know, uh, I, I sometimes tend to, you know, be focused so much about my heart that, I, you know, I don't have a good heart in it, so I, I don't get myself to share something because, I, you know, I haven't materialized in my life, you know, I'm not great at this, so how can I go and talk to somebody about it? So how do you break a balance where you, you know, in, in terms of talking to people even when you're struggling with it, but, you know, making sure that other people also receive some of the things that you've been working on. It's a great question. What do you guys think? I think like, people like to hear that you're struggling with it directly. They don't like to, to hear it from somebody who thinks they've got it all figured out. I think that those struggles sometimes... Um, you know, help you take through somebody through the word, and you can mm-hmm. and you can be real with them and, and tell them how you're struggling with it. But obviously, you're dealing with it. You're not you're not overlooking it. It's good. What else? <coughs> Russ, I think, I think part of like what you get on and why you don't like it is the same reason I don't like it is my pride doesn't want to be in front of somebody and not have answers. The whole like the whole thing <coughs> cross words. <coughs> It takes out your ability to have anything to stand on. So, like when I'm sharing a gospel with somebody, and they bring up something, I'm like, you know what? I, I did that yesterday. Like in my flesh, I don't want to tell them that because it makes me look ridiculous. That's the whole point of grace. The whole point of grace is to say with people, yeah, I, I did that as well. But the Lord has allowed that to be forgiven, and then all the other sin. And at that point, we're not talking about you anymore. It's talking about yourself so you get to the cross. You can get to the cross and do for them and their sin that they would allow the Lord in their life. So it's incredibly difficult because what you have to do with that action is humble yourself. And there's just stuff there's just no room for you in the gospel anyways, outside of like what you bring, which is your sin. So to pretend that there's something else there is ridiculous. And how you get your heart to do that, I'm not sure I'm still working that out. I'm not I'm not that guy that to an opportunity to give God. And I'm not talking about this more. We're talking about the cross. Which is a much better topic than my sin. So, yeah. Doug, I would just say, too, that in, even in those instances, it's not about, hey, my heart, I didn't maybe get my heart right this morning or whatever, and you know, I shouldn't be sharing with this guy. I think it's more like you're dealing with your heart at that moment with that person. Uh, you're growing in your own heart. How am I going to put my faith in God in this moment? 
and uh, and so you're sure, and, and then you can go back later, and, and you know, say, God, you know, I wasn't ready, but thank for showing me that I wasn't, you know, and and move on from there. But that that is can work it on your heart. Not not only all all those things are absolutely correct, but we need to focus on not us making our heart right, but the things everybody has said, focusing on God's sovereignty, yeah. on God's word, and on grace, and and only through that can we even do anything. Because if it's not even through the faith God has given us, we can't muster it up. And if we think we are, it's only pride. So by doing all those, boy, we can humbly come to the gay guy, the lesbian person, because it's not even fornication. It's if you walk by some lady and even look and think you've sinned. And without God's grace and the cross, that's just as bad. Absolutely. We can't lift ourselves up to any level. Mm-hmm. Ben, go ahead. We discussed it on small group at Men's Retreat. And one of the questions, the application questions uh, during Men's Retreat was, how do you feel right now about your life being imitated by another? And so we talked about that at kind of length on a small group, and we were discussing, in particular, dealing with our children, and that we have, we know we're simple, and we know how we deal with sin, and we're trying to uphold the standard of, teaching your children, this is what you need to do, we know that every day we are not living up to that standard that we're teaching them. And I thought, you know, what better is a, and we're, there's a lot of discussion, how do we expect our children to behave a certain way if, if we're not living up? I thought, what better way to have your children imitate you than by demonstrating to them and being transparent with them that you are sinful and demonstrating to them repentance? Have them to imitate your repentance. Absolutely. And uh, we just talked about that. And, you know, you're not going to be you're not going to live up to that. Your heart is not always going to be right. You still have an obligation to demonstrate that and be transparent mm-hmm. with them and the children that you're talking to. Great point. So. Yeah, you know, here's here's the deal. Our flesh, we think that what the, what we need to set up for another man or for our children to see is sinlessness or better, perfect knowledge. And what God is asking you to set up is that, as an example, is is I'm responsive to sin in my life and because of the word of God, because of the spirit of God in me, and I see it, and when I see it, I confess it, and I forsake it by the grace of God. I I turn away from it. That is what the people in your small group must see. That is what your coworkers need to see. Because think about what you're propping up otherwise. If you're thinking that you need to prop up, oh, I I know everything, um, or prop up, I don't sin, then you are setting before those watching you an example that God never intended to set before them in you. He intended to set up before them in you someone who is responsive to the gospel and to the cross of Jesus Christ. And that is what saves. Okay? The perfect standard is Jesus. That's the one they look at. And you point away from yourself to that one that is not a license to sin because grace not only saves you, grace sanctifies you and makes you put away sin by its power. But model brokenness over sin. Model sensitivity to to the the Spirit's work in your life. Model that. Model a growing knowledge, not perfect knowledge. And God does not save a sinner 
and leave them in the first moments without anything to say. Because by the very nature of them coming into the kingdom through Jesus Christ at the cross, they can testify of Jesus Christ at the cross. And that's what you testify of. That's what you share. That's the knowledge. And that's good knowledge. It's saving knowledge that God loves to use. Great point. All right. Anything else from the, the retreat? We'll give you a couple of words. Tyler. Just say really quick, uh, my brother in law went with yeah. up there. Uh, some of you met him. Um, you know, they've been married. My sister has been married for a year and a half. And, I mean, I don't, I don't know the guy. I, I didn't know the guy. I mean, we, wow. we see him once a week. But it's all simple. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, he was so impacted by that. Mm. Um, and I'm going to start getting tears. Mm. He, uh, you know, when, when his family, and, and I'm able to share some things with him, but his family, so sometimes that just gets discounted. Um, but when it's coming from someone else, you know, you touched on some of the same things that I was mm. um, sharing with him. And, was just able to really encourage him um, to find a church and be in a small group and be in the And um, I think the, the sessions after the messages uh, was really impactful. Um, I really enjoyed those. It just gave him time to reflect and go through those questions. And I don't know if he, you know, sometimes when you go to those retreats, you, you think, man, you know, all these people have together. You know, I don't know how this is going to be. You know, but he realized, you know, and this guy's just as messed up as I am, you know, and just was able to share and be open and honest about stuff, and was just, um, he just loved being there, and, and it was to the point where he was like, I don't know if I want to go back, you know, because you, you get back into your routine of life, and so easily that stuff that you you want to take back and, and, and can get pushed aside, so um, just, I want to say thanks to you guys just for, just, the impact you had as far as just including him and wanting to, to be around him and just get to know him and it really um, just affected his life and I hope, hopefully they'll, they'll start coming on Sundays yeah. I just said you know you need to be around people that you can share things with and with your marriage and, and I said I guarantee you that they're going to pull off the Bible the first thing you're going to do is you're going to go to God's word you know when you have an issue or whatever something you need to talk about and you, but you need to be around people that can fellowship with and talk about that stuff with and not just try to do it on your own. So be praying for him. You know, if you guys think about it, then and on. You know, hopefully it will start coming. And, uh, but it, it was truly very impactful. And, and I just I had no idea how it would go. I was nervous. What made you think to ask him? Uh, honestly, you know, I pray for him every day. Um, my sister and just uh, and uh, I realized how selfish I was because I'm thinking, all right, you know, I'm excited about this ministry. I get to go out. I'm going to go up early. I'm going to play golf. You know, I'm going to do all these things. And then um, I just, you know, God just put it on my heart. And my and um, Sarah, even my sister, even kind of mentioned, you know, how you know, might want to go. And I, I'm like, really? And uh, so I'm like, man, you know, in light of eternity, I guess I'll. <laughs> Set my selfish ways aside, you know, because I just I had it all. You know, I was going to do this, and it was going to be great. I was excited, and then I'm like, oh, and then here God says, well, you're going to spend the whole weekend with him. You've been praying for him. Here's your chance. You know, and our relationship is totally different now. Wow. Um, we talked during the week. I mean, I hugged the guy. I mean, I never hugged a guy. You know, it's just it's, it's amazing. You know, and so 
it's just, uh, you know, and I can see, you know, like some of the things you were saying, and he was just like, oh man, like you talked about um, what are you doing with your heart, like on the way home from work, you know, are you praying your heart, and that's something that impacted me. Um, you know, knowing that like your wife, you know, she expects you to be home, um, you know, and are you preparing your heart on the way home, or do you just go home grumpy and you know, because you had a hard day and grab a remote, and he was just like, oh man, you know, just things like that where he just realized, I think, um, you know, we took uh, we went to the father father class too, and just realizing because he's they've got a couple, he's got a couple of kids from different. Um, other women and just um, realizing the impact of fatherhood and then we related that to you know marriage and that how you know you're the head of that house whether you like it or not God's given you that authority and you know you need to make sure that you're doing what you need to do with that and so it just one thing led to another and um, you know we drive home and I said all right what's your plan for this week you know you gotta have a plan to be in God's word you don't just want to you know open up and point to okay I'm gonna read there you know uh, so uh, he's been reading Romans and he's been excited to tell me about it and uh, so just keep praying for that because it's, it's just amazing uh, good job so, Tom praise God it's yeah. really cool good um, anything from the ministry side of things the, when we talked about First Thessalonians 1 5 to 10 from that retreat guys anything jump out to you there I want to spend just a moment there. You guys want to impart? We'll, we'll do that session, uh, that message later in November. But yes, um, I just really impacted, and I think it's something we're sharing with our small groups up there um, that I've seen, not just with ministry and not just with Bill, just kind of throughout the last couple months with me. Um, but I think really touched on it in the ministry session. Uh, which is all ministry, or basically anything that we do as Christian men, is only effective as far as it engages people with the gospel. And um, and really, I, it, it kind of boils down for me to intentionality. Uh, am I being intentional in my time of work? Uh, am I being intentional with my wife and how I lead her? How I share my time with her? Conversations. Am I being intentional with my ministry? Whatever pastor that is. And it's like, you now I kind of looked at ministry and I was like, I serve on the worship team and the day is in the back. <laughs> but it could be more intentional than that. I could be engaging people. I could be developing relationships that point to the cross. And that challenged me in all those areas. Um, and encourage me to kind of see God working that that concept of intentionality out in my life. Praise God. Thanks, Mike. That's good. Yeah. You need that. Josh, I have a question. Yeah. Um, I, I like how your first point says the ministry is the only one message the gospel. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I find some people, when you say the gospel, they think death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Okay, we need to, we have to move on to other stuff at some point. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how to answer that help yeah answer that question and somebody that with that my mind what you guys did to me and i blame you at the retreat was you talked about the gospel so much and it was stuff that i was because i was preparing in, in this vein it was stuff that i was assuming 
uh, because we it, we just talk about it here, and I real it made me realize that oh my goodness, we're in a setting where it's very mixed. Some of you guys know more what we're talking about, and a lot of those guys don't know what we mean, and so that's why I tried to spend more time talking about you know you don't graduate from the gospel. This is not something that you hear that gets you into the kingdom, and then you put it aside and. When you hear it being talked about again from a preacher from the pulpit, you don't go, oh, there must be somebody in here who's not saved. I remember what that was like. You never do that. You're thinking, no, the gospel has power, ongoing power, um, that we want to know Christ and Him crucified, not just so that people get saved, but because that's what is sanctifying power in our lives. Um, and so it, what I did in that session that, that I do that at the beginning kind of before we even got into First Thessalonians 1, is I love to show, and I love to remind myself of the book of Romans. Mm-hmm. Romans chapter 1, Paul says to these Christians who are Christians, not unsaved, I can't wait to be with you and impart some gift to you and you to me and that we mutually benefit from one another. Therefore, when I see you, I am eager to preach the gospel. Now, if you have a very gutted hollow view of the gospel, what you're saying is, well, Paul, you, Paul must think they're not saved. And he's got to go preach the gospel to these people who call themselves Christians. Because certainly a Christian would never preach the gospel to another Christian. I mean, that's shocking. <laughs> but that's where we've come as Christians in America. And that is not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I, I, I live and breathe and talk in my sleep the gospel. You cut me, I believe the gospel. I... That's just what I am. That's who I am. That's what God has made me as a gospel-centered man. And so then he goes on and he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, blah, blah, blah. Goes through all of, as if Romans could be blah, blah, blah. He goes through all of Romans, right? And then you go to the last chapter of Romans, Romans 16, I think it's verse 25. He says, in his benediction, he says, now, with my gospel, that can establish you. Okay, so now he's talking about it's the gospel that strengthens Christians. It's the gospel that establishes Christians, not just in putting the ground floor, but in putting the walls and the second floor. In your life, as you look at the big structure that God is building, the gospel isn't just the ground floor. It is everything. You live in a gospel structure. Everything. And you need to examine it from every floor, every window, every angle that you can. And then the question becomes, well, we got to get on to bigger and better things, right? Yeah, you know what that is? Between Romans chapter 1 and Romans 16, if Paul is saying, I'm going to come and bring the gospel to you, and you know, it's my gospel that will strengthen you, guess what's in between? Something different? No. Rich gospel theology. From chapter 2 to chapter 15. And that gospel theology is propositional truth and it's practical therefore my beloved brethren in light of the mercies of God present yourselves a living and holy sacrifice that's the gospel worked out Romans chapter 12 verse 1 okay does that make sense yeah yeah I did that real quick when I got home because I was rattling in my head because you know that's paranoid you know I'm always interested in our Kids coming to Christ, and, uh, um, and I really feel strongly I needed to tell my family, my kids, that so, okay, let's let's talk about the gospel. And so I think it was like the second night I was home, uh, uh, around the dinner table, we were talking about. Asked them, what's the gospel? They all gave me the answer. You know, 
that we all know and love, uh, that he died for us, for our sins. But uh, I said, you know what? Is it more than that? And they kind of looked at me and went upstairs. You know? <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I said, you know, I need the gospel every day. I need it. It's, it, it, it's, it doesn't end at, the, at that point. You don't just do it like you just said. And, and it was like, I think they were all kind of like, you know, dogs look at you and they <laughs> and, and I'm like, you know, I need, I'm not. And then he talked about imitating the person's life. I, you know, am I imitating the gospel <coughs> in my daily life? Mm -hmm. Not just teaching them the cross, but beyond that. You know, and that's good. So I think that's what you want to do, Josh, is you want to try to show that the gospel, the book of Romans like that is a great example that helps people understand that it is Jesus Christ crucified for sins, for forgiveness of sins, raised from the dead, proclaimed to the world, um, but it is also rich gospel doctrine as well. Okay, Here's what I want to do. I want to take a, I want to take a five minute break. Let you guys get up, move around, get a refill, use the bathroom, whatever, and then come right back in, in five minutes, okay, and we'll move on from there. Sound good? All right, do that. Take a break. Before we go really any further, what I want to call your attention to is uh, your two um, homeworks. You have a green sheet that we'll talk about today a little bit later, this morning, which is the individualized leadership plan. It's kind of your plotting and thinking about your own heart and, and what plan are you going to have in terms of putting away the things that quench your desire for God and in His Word and what kinds of things you need to start doing to promote your love for God in His Word. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And then take a look at the yellow sheet. It's just kind of more of the same type of stuff. This is what is due November 8th. Um, I just want you to be asking yourself the question, and, and guys, be as specific as you can in answering these. Don't just go, okay, well, it's sort of, you know, well, maybe. You know, don't be as specific as you can. Spend some time. Have you done the last three weeks and bringing your heart before God through His Word? Be detailed. And that doesn't mean I want you to log every single day for three weeks. I don't want 21 accounts of that. But just ask God, God, give me insight into what I've been doing the last three weeks. How's it been? And write that out. Where would you like to be by the end of this year and build? We need to set up goals like that. We've probably set all kinds of goals business-wise and school-wise and stuff like that. And, and it, when it comes to spiritual things, we, we are, we're zeros <laughs> in terms of planning. We need to have some plans. What do you want to be, guys, in April? Um, what do you want to see different in your life in April as opposed to now? And in anticipation of our next meeting, uh, when we meet in November on the home, what's the current spiritual attitude and atmosphere in your home that you have set? And by the way, if you've been passive, <coughs> in terms of, well, I, I don't know what it is. I haven't really done anything. There you have. You've passively led, and there is an aroma in your home where you live, whether you are planning to do it or not. There it is. Okay? Um, be specific on that. And then we will talk about that from God's Word next time we're together. And then on a different note, I want you to think about question four. What do you think God is doing in our church during the season of life and ministry? Um, I love it when you guys talk about that because you um, have a very valid vantage point from which you view the church. And I love it. Whether you're newer, whether you've been here for 
You're as old as the dust on the hills in this church. You know, I want to hear from you what you think God is doing. And then, question five, how do you think the work he wants to do in you coincides with what he's doing in the church? And connect your life to what it is you think he's doing. Okay? Can you guys do that for us next time? All right. What I want to do is I want to spend a little bit of time talking about um, discipline four. So you can take that sheet out. That... um, from the retreat I kind of gave it headings um, that I didn't have even in my notes because I didn't plan the last session until really Saturday night, Sunday morning before because I kind of wanted to see how things were going and so this is kind of an overview of where I think things are so I want to I talk a little bit with you about, okay, this would remind ourselves we want to be men who shepherd our hearts to the word of God in order to meet with God in his word, in order to savor Jesus Christ. We recognize that as we do that, we are obligated by God and and we even have the desire in the new heart that he gave us to actually want to be in our homes and leave a spiritual aroma there of that kind of thing. Love for Jesus Christ in his word. Okay? People should be able to come into our homes whether we are married and have kids or whether we are roommates living with somebody else. They should be able to walk in our house where we live and say, you know what, there's something about the way this guy lives here that's, that, that, that points me to Christ, that points me to his word. I can see it in the way that he um, interacts and the decisions he makes here. I see it all over the place. There, that needs to happen. Then, as you step into the lives of other men and people in the church, you have a gospel-centered focus there as well. Okay? That you are concerned to bring the gospel to people there. You want... You have only one message, and you want to be only one kind of messenger, and that is a gospel-centered messenger, okay? Now, based on that, then, we're going to talk about how Discipline 4 relates to all of that, and in specifics as well to the church, because right now we're talking about you personally. You personally must be a man who's shepherding your heart. You personally must be a man who's concerned about the household you live in. You personally must be a man who is being gospel-centered in ministry, okay? Now, I want to start with some grace realities of the gospel and the Great Commission. These things never change. Think about this. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. If you want to turn there, please do that. This is a grace reality, a grace truth that never changes. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve. Grace reality. This is just truth. It is propositional. It is, it is a fact. Whether you are alive or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, it is a fact. He did not come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Right? Fact. This is what God's fact plan is. This grace fact. And it exists regardless of our awareness of it or not. You can't make it stronger as a grace reality. You can't diminish it as a grace reality. It is what it is. Pilate couldn't touch it. Herod couldn't touch it. Judas couldn't touch it. Peter couldn't make it better when he tried to lop off the ear of the servant. Disciples cannot touch this. This is grace reality, grace truth, grace proposition. Another one. His death was so powerful that it expiated sin. It took it away. His death was so powerful that it propitiated. It satisfied God's wrath. Okay, completely. God's, uh, or Jesus' death was so powerful that it regenerates and provides the new heart 
that we desperately need. Okay? You can't touch that. You can't diminish that. You can't improve upon that. That is a grace truth, a grace reality, a grace fact by God, a grace proposition. Grace proposition, another one. The power of God raised him from the dead. The tomb is empty. They will never find bones. They will never be able to identify his remains because there are no remains of a dead man. He is alive. This is true. This has never changed. This will never change. If he tarries and delays and does not come back for 3,000 more years, there will always be a grace reality. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is a gospel reality. Okay, Wait here and the Spirit, until the Spirit of God comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. For the kingdom of God to go forward in the proclamation of Jesus Christ in the gospel, the disciples had to wait for the Holy Spirit to come 50 days later, or which was not 50 days later from the time he said it, but after the crucifixion. They needed to have the power of the Holy Spirit because God's kingdom and the gospel do not advance by human means, human power human fleshly strength. This is a grace reality. It has always been this way. You cannot improve upon the plan of the gospel going forward. You cannot diminish the plan of the gospel. This just exists whether you recognize it or not. Okay? The Spirit of God comes and we become witnesses. We become testifiers and we testify as disciples, as a big body of disciples reaching way back to then. The disciples have testified in Jerusalem. They testified in right outside of Jerusalem. And now we, to the ends of the earth, are testifying the same. This is a grace reality that is true. Another grace reality. Go to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. This is a grace reality. A grace effect. Verse 12. Oh no, verse, verse 9. Sorry. Chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, John said, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I mean, they're just talking about these grace realities that we just talked about. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders, and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Here's the grace reality that around that throne, there are going to be, um, there's going to be a great multitude no one can number, verse 9. Every nation, all tribes, peoples, languages, standing before the throne. This is the effect, the grace effect of the gospel. This is what is going to happen Regardless, it's not dependent upon my obedience, and yet it is yours. But God, this is his plan. This is his power. This is what he's going to bring about. Okay? These things never change. These grace realities. Okay? For 2,000 years, they have not changed. In 2,000 years from now, they will still be as powerful as they are today. All right? So the question we need to ask ourselves is, in the church... What kind of servant, what kind of a messenger, what kind of a witness is an effective tool and weapon in God's hands to bring that about? And the answer would be a man who, one, shepherds his heart to go to the Word of God 
to meet with the God of the Word, Jesus Christ. Number two, he's a man who doesn't play leapfrog not only over his own heart, he doesn't play leapfrog over his household. He's a man who's concerned that I live among these people. It might be my wife, it might be my roommate, uh, whatever, but I have to leave a spiritual aroma here for Christ. And thirdly, when I minister to people outside, I am gospel-centered there as well. Okay? Clearly. And the early church at Pentecost and in other times and places throughout church history, the Great Awakening is, is a good example, saw an amazing response to the work of God to save sinners and to build them up. Thousands upon thousands were saved at Pentecost and beyond. Okay? Now what I want to do is I want to give you a statistic um, that I gave at the retreat that I came across about, I think about five years ago, maybe six years ago, right about the time I came to Tempe. Uh, to this church, um, I got it from a guy named Ogden who has a who did his doctoral work on discipleship, and so I was really interested in what what is discipleship. And he came across this statistic, and it's it's so sad. The church in America today it, it takes a congregation of 100 people to see in one year 1.67 conversions to Christ. Less than two people a year come to Christ in America. Now, of course, we need to ask the question, what does that mean, come to Christ? What does converted mean? Understand all that. We don't wanna, I don't want to get so sidetracked off that we, that we don't miss the heart of, of what's being said here. A hundred people fellowshipping together, calling themselves a church, and at the end of not one week, not the end of one month, but at the end of a year, less than two people have come to Christ. Now, if only that many are getting converted by Christ, how many are being built up and strengthened in the faith? So my question to us is to think about is, is this then what Jesus had in mind when he said, and the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many? That's what he had in mind? That's what was behind, that was the power in that grace reality. Is this what Jesus had in mind and the Father had in mind from eternity past as they were planning for Christ the Son to bear away sin, to satisfy wrath, and purchase new hearts? Is that what they had in mind? Is this what God was, had on His mind when He blasted the rock door off the tomb and His Son walked out? 100 of my people at the end of the year seeing 1.67 be converted. Is this what the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon disciples for? This kind of statistic? And if we're going to see men and women and boys and girls from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people, we're going to have to send a hundred missionaries out to every single tribe so that in a matter of a year there's going to be at least maybe almost two of them. That's what God had in mind? Now, look, we believe God is sovereign. Okay? And we know God is going to do what God will do regardless of our faithfulness. And there are periods of church history where men are faithful and they give their lives and nobody comes to Christ. That is a reality, okay? Very true. This 
does not discount that. This does not confirm that necessarily. But this is true, too. And we should not be content and sit back and think that good Calvinism says, well, God is sovereign and you can't be a part of that. You know, you can't control that. That's what God does. And it's true. God saves. We don't change our message. God saves sinners. And he put power in his message that saves sinners. Massive power. So the question comes, we've gotten to such a point where 100 people uh, bring about at the end of the year less than two conversions. The question we have to ask ourselves, well then, did the power in those grace promises change? Has something changed? And the answer to that is no. So what has changed? It becomes obvious that what has changed is the kind of man, the kind of servant that is used in the church to bring that gospel reality, those grace propositions to a broken world. Is it perhaps the fact that churches are not concerned to make men into men who shepherd their own hearts? First and foremost, that they play leapfrog over their own hearts with the gospel. They play leapfrog over their own homes and households with the gospel. And it's not on their mind to bring the gospel into the center of their relationships with people. That would seem to me to be a pretty good indication why there's 100 people meeting together who are not gospel-centered. And at the end of a year, less than two have come to Christ. So the problem is certainly, of course, not with the grace propositions, the grace realities of the gospel. The problem is with the kind of men who have that message, right? And what we want to be a part of is not, we don't want to be an obstacle to grace realities going forward. Look, we can't control, look, if there's a hundred of us, what we want to do is we believe if the grace realities of the gospel are as powerful as they are, then what we want to be is as full of the gospel ourselves and imparting that gospel to everybody who lives in our household and taking it into the, the lives of people as we minister to them in the church. We want to do all of that and we want to just set it before God and say, this is what we are, this is, what we, this is our response by your grace to your grace realities and you can do with it whatever you want. And if God says at the end of the year with 100 men being that way, 1.67 is what I want, then God gets the glory for 1.67. But he doesn't get the glory for 1.67 at the end of the year if 100 men sit back and say, you know what, I've neglected my heart, I have not cared for the people in my home, and I don't bring the gospel into relationships anywhere. If 1.67 is what God brings about through that people, God is not glorified as he should be. That's what we want to guard against. That's what we don't want to be. We don't want to be guilty of that kind of living. We need to be men who have the gospel in our hearts all the time, who are bringing it to our households and who bring it everywhere. That's all we know what to do. So that God can do whatever he wants in his sovereignty. And we want to we wanna be a help. And we, look, if you had to go... And, I, I pity my wife. Because the woman in her drawer of knives does not have one sharp one. And my buck knife is sharper than her <laughs> knives in her drawer. I'm very concerned that my buck knife is sharp. But look, you don't want to be a dull knife in the hand of God. You want to be a sharp tool that he would love to use to bring gospel surgery on the heart of someone else by his grace through the gospel. So guys, I mean, what we want to do is, is 
in builders, we, we want to continually, every time we're together, we want to ring the wake-up bell call. Ring it. Guys, wake up. It's the gospel. Wake up. This is what God wants to do in the world. He, his son died so that many would come. He perfectly and powerfully expiated, propitiated, regenerated. All those great, wonderful theological terms. They're great. It's powerful. The Spirit of God. God's thought of everything. Oh, to, to do this, my people must have the powerful Spirit of God. Guys, this is what he's after. Let's take, if that's what he wants to do, and we have the end pointed out to us, Revelation 7-9. If, if from here, from the cross to there, we see the line of trajectory, our goal is to say, my life needs to come where? I'm going to put it there. And how do you put your life there? You put your life there in that line of trajectory of what God wants to do by shepherding your heart, by taking care of your house, and by ministering to people the gospel. That's what we do. That's what you do. As you do this personally, your church, God's church, is strengthened to accomplish what God wants it to do. As you neglect this, God's church, its power is diminished to do this. So, churches are weak because men are weak. Churches are strong because men are strong. By God's doing. Guys, you've got to be this kind of man for the sake of this church, for the sake of any church that you will ever be at beyond this one. And God has given to the churches two lists of qualifications by which the churches can measure the men in their churches, identify the men that should be leading the rest of the men in this charge of the gospel. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, the office of elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now keep your hand there and go two books to the right to Titus chapter 1. Because we're going to come back to 1 Timothy 3. Titus 1 verse 5. Paul says to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. 
he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict him. Those are the parallel lists, overlapping lists for the qualifications for elder. Go back to 1 Timothy 3, verse 8. There's a list for another office in the church called the office of deacons. Deacons, verse 8, likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve as deacons gain a good understanding for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. God has given to the church a list that helps to identify who the shepherds, who the overseers, who the the, the, the leaders are over the other men who are to be about this. And these qualifications, again, fall into one of the first three categories. These are the qualifications that fall into the heart category, the home category, or just what does he like with people category. Okay, and it's that way for both elders and deacons. Deacons are an important servant layer of leadership in the church. You saw a couple weeks ago that um, Josh is going forward with that um, to serve in that capacity. And um, we want to see even more of that come about in this church. Um, but God's got to do that. So your church's faithfulness, this church's faithfulness and effectiveness in the gospel mission of Jesus Christ in this community, um, in your family's lives, in the lives of your, those who are in your small group here, in the lives of those around Tempe and beyond in the valley here, all the way over to East Asia where Jim Lamps is. Our church's effectiveness in the gospel mission depends on you. You. Because God designed that for his gospel realities and propositions to be powerful and effective, that he would call men to live their lives in line with that. So shepherd your heart, men, for your own soul's sake. Shepherd your home for your own soul's sake and the sake of those in your home. And shepherd those people that you care for outside of your home with the gospel for their sake. But for the gospel's sake, for the glory of Christ, for the sake of your church. Um, what kind of a man do you want to be? What kind of man of God do you want to be? God is laying it out here for you. And like we talked at the, the retreat, um, you don't need to make major announcements that this is what you're going to do and announce it to the world. Just quietly do it. Just quietly respond to God's word. Humbly respond to God's word. Don't announce. You don't even have to blog it. Okay? Just, just do it. Just do it. Help others do it. Come alongside one another and say, I, I, I need help in this and I would love to help you. Can I help you? Can we work together on this? This is what we want to develop in this group of guys here. And I want to encourage you guys, do not look at the list of qualifications for elder or for deacon and say, that's not me. Put those in front of you and pray to God. Say, God, would you please 
if it would please you, if it would bring glory to you for the sake of your gospel, what you want to do, would you make me that? Because that's the only way I want it anyway, if it advances your gospel, if it makes Jesus Christ to be seen as the great God that he is. That's what I want. And so if that's your plan for me, make me that. Give me affections in my heart for even those desires, those qualities. Ask for help um, from others in the church. Okay? So, build exists that we might try to unite one another around these leadership disciplines so that this church can be strengthened to be what God wants it to be so it can be effective with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's about you personally, guys, this leadership development. It is very much so. It's about you being the kind of man that God has called you to be. Okay? Absolutely. And God had a whole lot more in mind than just you two. Be this for the sake of the church. Be this for the sake of the gospel going out. Be this for the sake of the salvation of those from tribes and tongues and peoples that we don't even know. Okay? All right. Let's spend some time. <clears throat> I wonder if I can um, impose upon the other two elders if we would be willing to take a group of guys and just take um, a half hour or so. We're, we probably, there's a group that's coming in at nine. They're going to be in the sanctuary there. And so by nine o'clock, we'll need to be quiet in here. We can still be in here, but we could be moving around, cleaning up. Um, but we need to be quiet at nine. But we can go anywhere on campus. We can go outside. But what I'd like to do is um, basically have three groups of guys, and I want you to take with you both, uh, just this green sheet. Okay? And if you don't have one, don't worry. Somebody else in the group will have it with you. Um, and we'll be able to talk about that. And I, I want you just to kind of work through those questions, um, and I want you to just spend some time praying. Just pray for each other. Pray that God would make us into this, this kind of man. Okay?